Good morning to each of you. I'm glad to be able to be here this morning. Uh, Naaman uh, introduced my subject, in a way, uh, from Luke 18, The Blind Man. Uh, and uh, the uh, thing that struck me as he was reading the account is uh, what the people told the blind man, they told him to be quiet. Uh, my subject this morning is um, proper attitude toward uh, blind people. No, it's proper attitude toward the wounded and the needy. Uh, and now the thought just comes comes to me, too, that uh, I suppose most of you know that I am uh, working part-time for Myra Yoder these days, and uh, it's really, uh, I feel really blessed uh, to be able to be with him and be helpful to him, and uh, it helps me um, think about uh, how I think about, it helps me think about how I think about uh, people who uh, are not like I am, aren't able to uh, do what I can do, or whatever it is. So, I'm thinking about those kinds of things these days. Two weeks ago, Dan uh, spoke at uh, the chapel. And he used the John 5 account, which I will return to in a little while, about the healing of the crippled man. And the thought came to me while he was talking, uh, what is our attitude toward crippled people? And uh, I was thinking crippled as in physically and otherwise. And I'm not sure if Dan asked that question or if it just came to my mind. So this morning I want to explore the question, what is the proper attitude toward crippled or wounded or needy or weak or different than I am people? And I should say here in the beginning that uh, as I was studying this the last several weeks, I began to realize that... uh, it's really a huge subject. It's bigger than I had really thought about it being, and uh, there are a number of issues uh, that I'm not going to address this morning. I might mention a few of them, but I'm not going to uh, try to deal with them or answer or explore all the ins and outs of these issues. I want to start this morning with the Old Testament, and I'm just going to read. Uh, several places in the Old Testament where, where we have what God says about His view of, His thoughts about people who are different or needy. Uh, the first is in Exodus 22. He says, You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. 
My anger will blaze against you, and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor, neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. Exodus 23, the next chapter. You must not oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be a foreigner, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Plant and harvest your crops for six years, but let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor people among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. <clears throat> now that's an interesting point there. I don't know if I ever thought about animals and eating a day to rest. <clears throat> it's probably because we live in the day of tractors and they don't have to rest, you know. It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. Leviticus 25, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. This is a very fascinating instruction in my mind. The land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. In the, and in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it. Then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom, whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. So, like, he would get it back if he had to lose it. In the end, he would get it back. Now, this, this is a very different system than today. Uh, Deuteronomy 12. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Don't be asking that. I also will do likewise. Just don't think that way. 
You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination of the Lord which he hates, they have done to their God. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their God. And so the instruction here has to do with helpless children. That you, you cannot treat children this way. And I'll just say, uh, what do you think God thinks about abortion? And the things uh, that... And I probably shouldn't even pay attention to the news with the stuff that is said today by people about about uh, children, about uh, children in the womb, that they are not really people, they are not really uh, valuable. It is, it is all ungodly. Deuteronomy 24, never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you, and it would be counted against you as sin. So there's a lot of verses, a lot of passages like that in the Old Testament. Now the new, uh, I'm starting with John 4, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And I have quite a few uh, scriptures here, and I'm going to read some, and some I'm not going to read. I'm just going to comment on, and some I may just keep. Depends on the time. These, uh, the, the account of the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus with this woman, is very, um, we, we know, most of us know the story. Uh, I'm not going to read it. So here's, here's what I see there. Jesus broke the rules. Uh, in two ways, at least, yeah, because she was a Samaritan and she was a woman. So, uh, Jesus talked with a Samaritan, and the Samaritans were a mixed uh, race of Jews. Jews had intermarried with the Assyrians who had captured them, and pure Jews, in quotes, they despised and avoided Samaritans, and Jesus, I think, uh, if you read the Carefully, I think what it says is that he intentionally went to Samaria. It was his plan. He didn't have to, most people didn't, but he did. Jesus talked with a woman, it's not just a Samaritan, but he talked with her while the disciples were gone to get something to eat. And uh, the passage says that the disciples were shocked that Jesus was talking to the woman. Uh, but it also says that none of them had courage or the nerve to ask him uh, what he wanted from her or why he was talking to her. And he was talking to her because she was needy, and he had living water. He had something to offer to her, so he didn't let her be a Samaritan or a woman hinder his mission uh, and responsibility. So one thing we notice about her, 
uh, after the woman told Jesus that he did not, that she did not, she told Jesus she did not have a husband. Uh, Jesus told her that she had had five husbands, but the one she was living with now was not her husband. Uh, the interesting thing about her response to that was she tried to turn the focus of the conversation away from herself and turn it on where it's the right way to worship God, which is the right place. And he, he turned it back to her need of the heart of worship which is the need to worship in spirit and in truth. So he was calling her to himself. Uh, and then it says that Jesus stayed two more days after talking with the woman at the well. I don't think I remember that. He stayed two more days there talking with the people. Uh, and it says that many Samaritans in the town believed, and they asked him to stay longer. In Mar- uh, Matthew 8, um, it's also the story is in Mark 1, same account, is of the leper uh, came to him. I'm, I'm reading here from Mark. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, or if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus was moved with compassion, and he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, or I want to, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And the reason I'm focusing on this account is because of the leprosy issue. Uh, lepers were considered unclean and untouchable, and you kept them outside the camp, kept them away. But Jesus was not afraid of them. Uh, he wasn't going to get leprosy. Um, so he was moved, moved with pity, moved with compassion, and he healed this um, needy, dangerous person. Uh, the account in Matthew 8 of Jesus in Peter's house uh, says when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And the reason I'm reading this is because of the next statement. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 53, uh, where we have Jesus is going to bear uh, physical, emotional, spiritual illnesses, the effects of the fall to the cross, 
And this is the basis for all healing, the basis for all redemption of any kind of anything. Uh, this means that full redemption is certain. Uh, but it's not all completed in this life. Even people that were healed in the, in the Bible uh, died afterwards. I'm thinking there are a few exceptions, but I can't think who they are. You can, you can talk about that after I sit down. Okay, the, the, the issue is that uh, there is the power of healing physical healing, too, in Jesus, but it's not all in this life. Matthew 9, uh, we have in Matthew 9 the account of uh, Jesus eating with Matthew. He invited Matthew to follow him and be his disciple, be one of the twelve. And uh, we know that story, very familiar with it. He's a tax collector. He's a social outcast. He's rejected by his own people. Um, and the Pharisees uh, thought that tax collectors, and they classed them as sinners, but tax collectors and sinners were below their dignity. So they asked, uh, they asked Jesus' disciples, there at the meal. I think Matthew threw a party uh, because now he was uh, a student of the rabbi. And uh, the Pharisees who were present there, they, they asked, why, why does your teacher eat with sinners and outcasts? And maybe a modern way to say it is, why is your a teacher eating with scum? Be one way to say it. Oh, Jesus uh, knew they were wondering, and he answered that healthy people do not need a doctor. I want you to show mercy. I'm more concerned about you showing mercy than about your sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but I think that, that was what he meant. Um, the account in John 5 of the lame man, this is the one that Dan was referring to, he'd been lame for 38 years, and when Jesus asked if he'd like to get well, the man said, I can't. I can't because no one will put me into the pool. Uh, someone else always gets in ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately he was made well, and he took up his bed and walked. Um, now, here, here are just some thoughts I have about this relating to um, needy people. Well, I, I meant to say at the beginning that everybody in this room is needy. We are all needy. Everyone is. I used to not realize that. And 
just in case you wonder, um, even even people who get 70 years old are needy. They still are in various ways. And uh, we never get over needing uh, the care of others and the presence of others, the uh, work of God, uh, redemption. Um, well, uh, here's the interesting thing to me about uh, the man at the pool here. It said, he said that no one would help me get into the pool. Uh, everyone who was wounded and wanted to be healed around there, they tried to get in, and no one was concerned about him. So the lesson here, the fact that we are all wounded doesn't automatically translate into caring about other wounded people. You would think that if I'm hurting, I would care a lot about other hurting people, but that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, maybe, maybe it's partly because I'm so overwhelmed with my own need that I can't think about anybody else's. And maybe, maybe, you know, we're all kind of selfish. Maybe it's about being selfish. But I think sometimes it's about being in quite a bit of pain and can't really function very well to think about somebody else. But I'm not trying to make a big statement here. It's just that this is an observation. Um, I also, also have noticed this about people who have needs, uh, that often they want to serve and not just be served. I've noticed that. So it's not, it's not like all needy people just are so needy that they can't uh, be helpful and they're always selfish. That, that isn't true, but can be. But they also want to be helpful to others. In the account in Matthew 12, um, Jesus allows the disciples to pick wheat or corn, I think it's wheat maybe, on the Sabbath, because they're hungry. They're in need. And the Pharisees said he was allowing his disciples to do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus uh, makes really uh, strange comments sometimes. Uh, he said, he responded that David and his men ate the showbread, which was only lawful for the priesthood. And have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And I was thinking to myself when I read that, that, hmm, that sounds really strange. I think I do remember reading from that, but uh, I thought I'd better read it again and make sure this is true. Okay, so it's found in 1 Samuel 21. Then he said, Jesus said, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
And so uh, Jesus was moving, um, was saying that it is right to help people in need. Um, and uh, sometimes the laws, as they're understood to be, they, they don't really apply when somebody is in need like this, in this case, hungry. Um, also in Matthew 12, uh, immediately following that account, is the account of Jesus healing a man's hand on the Sabbath. Uh, so here's, here's what this reads. Jesus went over to the synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And they were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do this on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill him. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left that area, and many people followed him, and he healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled them. Now, this is part of what I want to hear. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved, who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice righteousness to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. So, uh, these comments about uh, not crushing the weakest greed or putting out a flickering candle, we could think about how that applies today. Uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, they have some interesting um, statements. It reads like this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. Well, we're all poor. We are all in need of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, and I'll just stop and say that uh, my experience would be, in general, that we don't know what to do with people when they cry. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. 
and so on. In Luke 7, we have the account of a Roman, uh, Jesus healing a Roman officer's servant. Now, I don't know how, how, uh, how much Bible reading each of you do, and I don't know how much you pay attention to the things that are said. But, uh, you know, you can read Bible passages uh, many times and learn something new every time. Well, I, I was struck by this. Um, this Roman Gentile officer, I hadn't thought of this thing before, he sent Jewish elders to Jesus. And these Jewish elders, now they're representing a Gentile, they told Jesus that this Roman officer loves the Jewish people and he has built a synagogue for them. It's just strange. Uh, but before they reached the house, the officer sent someone else to tell Jesus that he's not worthy of Jesus come to his house and heal his servant. And all he needs to do is say the word and, his, and this, this person would be healed. And he said, I know this is true because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my people under me. And I only need to say, go, and they go. They do, they do what I say do. I say, come, they come. And I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So, if Jesus just says it, that's all it, he doesn't have to come. I'm not worthy of that, just if he would just say it. And Jesus uh, said, um, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slaves completely healed. Now, one reason I'm mentioning this account is because it was a Gentile. In Matthew 11, we have the account of John the Baptist in prison, and uh, he's a needy man. So here's a powerful man of God who has uh, who has uh, stood up for what's right and good about marriage, and now he's in prison. I don't know what all he was thinking, but it appears that this great man now has doubts. He's uncertain. He doesn't know what to make of this thing. He's in prison. Jesus is doing whatever he's doing. So, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask whether or not Jesus is the promised Messiah. Actually, is he? Are you? Or should we look for someone else? And the interesting thing here to me is that Jesus did not rebuke him. He didn't get after him. He said, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, deaf hear, dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached. 
they, they, the, they saw this, they encompass the good news. So, John's disciples, as John's disciples were leaving, uh, Jesus began to talk, and he said, what kind of man did you go in the wilderness to see? And he, he uh, made positive statements about John the Baptist. So, uh, several things here. One is that Jesus describes who the gospel is for, the sort of blind, the lame, the diseased, the deaf, the dead, the poor, uh, actually, and some of that's uh, physical and spiritual. And second, he does not criticize John the Baptist for having doubts and asking questions. And the third thing I see is Jesus' response uh, respectfully to the doubts and questions, but, it, but he also responds with truth. Um, and, and this is one of the questions, uh, one of the issues, is how, how do you relate to needy people? How do you relate to people who lack understanding, full understanding? Uh, so I, one comment I would make is that you don't have to tell uh, needy, hurting people everything you know. Jesus did not uh, tell people everything he knew about them. But what you do say to people needs to be true. You don't have to say everything, but if you're going to say something, it should be true. It takes a lot of wisdom. Okay. I'm watching the clock. Okay, Luke 7. This is the account of the harvest. Uh, the, the immoral woman. So a Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner at his house, and I think there were other people there too. And and this woman, um, an immoral woman from the city, heard he was eating there. She went there too, and she brought this alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and she knelt behind him at his feet weeping, and her tears fell on his feet, and then she wiped, uh, used her hair as a towel, and she was kissing his feet and put ointment on, put perfume on them. And uh, the Pharisee thought to himself, let's see, he said to himself, yes, he didn't say this out loud, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, discerning his thoughts, said, Simon, and he talked to Simon and um, corrected him, asked him, uh, it said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both. So which of them would be the most grateful? And Simon said, the one who had been uh, had the biggest debt canceled. And uh, Jesus said, that's true. Um, 
Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped, not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare, rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, that are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So tell the woman your sins are forgiven. Um, so, several thoughts here. But this heart came to Jesus because somehow, I don't know how, she knew that he would respect her, he wouldn't take advantage of her, wouldn't shame her, he would help her somehow. Uh, normally, uh, I, I think this would be normal harlots would have a fairly hard heart. They would not be crying. They would learn how not to cry. Uh, but here she is crying, so something is happening in her heart. It's an expression of need. Um, the point there with uh, that Jesus made about a person uh, being forgiven little or being forgiven much, he was not saying that this woman had a whole lot of sin and needed to be forgiven a lot, and Simon did not have any sin. That wasn't the point. I believe the point was that um, Simon also needed to be forgiven and to be grateful to Jesus, but he he didn't recognize that he had any need. Simon would not admit that he was that he had a need equal to that of this terrible woman. So one lesson there is that we are all needy. Uh, even uh, important people are needy. People with a lot of responsibility are needy. If I may say, Brother Leon is needy. I'm needy. We're all needy. None of us are beyond needing the grace of God and forgiveness. And... Uh, when we recognize that, we can be grateful and have and have more uh, compassion for other people too. Um, in the in the account there in Luke, immediately following the harlot story, uh, we have this one. Uh, Soon afterward, after the account there, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, and he took the twelve disciples with him, and uh, this is interesting to me, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, uh, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, 
Herod's business manager has a list. Susanna, whoever that is, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Now, I think I had known that sometime, kind of forgot. So these women traveled with Jesus and the disciples. I'm not sure quite how. They weren't always present, of course. But some of them were women of means who contributed to the needs of Jesus and the disciples. And some of them had been helped emotionally, physically, spiritually by Jesus' ministry. So, I think that's an important point. Uh, several more here I want to mention, and then I'll close. Uh, there are there are passages in the epistles, in Acts, there are several, uh, where there's a discussion, there are comments made about, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything and had everything in common. Uh, and they sold whatever they had when there was a need and, and gave to the cause. Um, the, that's in Acts 2, and also there's a similar account in Acts 4. Um, the the um, common caring about each other and and giving to each other and giving out of what I have when someone else doesn't have. Uh, that's that's um, well instruction there about how to example and instructions how to do church, if you please. Uh, in James five, the familiar passage of if anyone is sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. Uh, that, that passage, uh, I don't know. Uh, okay, I, I guess I want to say that I think it would be it would be valuable to have a conversation, a discussion about about that. Like when is when is it appropriate, okay, for someone to ask for anointing, and what is anointing for? And is it only for a physical something? Is it for other issues? Um, anyway, just. Uh, talks about confessing sins to each other, praying for each other. Um, who, all, who all falls in the category of, of being worthy of being anointed? Or being bad enough off to need anointing? Being free to ask? Anyway, I've, I've never really heard much discussion about that subject. I just think it might be good. Then we have in Galatians 6, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, 
you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and be careful not to fall into sin temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and this, in this way obey the law of Christ. So some instructions there about caring for each other, bearing each other's burden, being helpful. Um, well, I have a passage here from Thessalonians. Uh, I'm running out of time. Um, there's a passage in Corinthians. Um, well, here's one, 1 Corinthians 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. And uh, some parts are weaker than others. Uh, there's that whole discussion about having respect for each other, the weakest, the weaker. Uh, we could also talk about Romans 12. Uh, I'm sorry, 14 and 15, uh, the strong and the weak. That would make a long discussion, too. Uh, so here's, I'll just give a little summary here. Each and every person is physically, spiritually, and emotionally needy. I think it's helpful if I recognize that about myself and about other people. It doesn't mean that we are a disaster. It just means we're needy. We're all in need of forgiveness and mercy, and we, we are all in need of the care of God and other people. The body of Christ is composed of a wide variety of people with a wide range of thoughts and feelings and beliefs and physical and emotional spiritual needs. And the gospel calls us to respect and honor and love each person and all kinds of people. I've talked with many, many people over the years. Uh, and this, this is a little, I'm going to address a little bit of a problem issue. People who were struggling to belong in their home church. Now, there's a can of worms, I know, because there are many, many reasons why people struggle to belong. And it's not, it's not all because of something's wrong in this church. I know that. Um, but some of the difficulty has to do with the way, the attitude that people have toward people who have needs. At some of the difficulties. So many, many people uh, feel unsafe with others uh, because they felt they felt like wounded needed people who would not be understood and would not be accepted if people knew how wounded and needy they really are. And uh, I've been in men's groups, many men's groups that uh, I knew that there were men in the group who had difficulties, but they would not share them in the group. And uh, finally, when they did, and other people responded to them, they discovered that, wow, 
I'm not the only one here who has a problem. And uh, I'm not saying that we need to magnify our problems. I'm just saying that it would be helpful if there could be an understanding that uh, it's okay to, to repent. It's okay to confess. It's the path to repentance. And it's hard to be honest and open about these things if we're scared that uh, people are going to uh, cast us into hell. So relating well to wounded and needy people requires a listening ear and a sympathetic heart instead of a fixing tongue, but it also uh, requires wisdom uh, to know how to speak into what is shared. Now I'm going to go to the other side of the issue a little bit. A major challenge in human relationships, not just in relating to needy people, but for all of us, is is our sensitivity when someone uh, corrects us or speaks truth to us about something. The sensitivity we have. And, and probably most of us have this kind of sensitivity. We don't like to be wrong. It's hurtful. It feels hurtful. Uh, so this, this is a challenge. It, it's um, even even needy people need need to hear things sometimes. So I'm just saying there's two sides to this. Uh, I'll mention another major challenge is that uh, in any congregation there can be a number of views about what is wrong with the needy person and what should be done about it. I've seen that. I've been involved in that. It can be really, really difficult. Hard to know how to be helpful. Uh, there's quite a bit of difference of opinion about what ought to be done. A major requirement for growth and change is a, what I would call a true community. In true community, not only are people encouraged to live open, honest, confessional lives, but when they do live that way, they need to receive wise counsel, wise instruction, and the grace of God. In true community, everyone is honest about their lives, able to offer a listening ear, able to be respectful, able to speak truth in love. And uh, I would just say that we're all in need of uh, growth in these areas. And um, may the Lord work His will. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank You for sending Your Son to earth and for the example and instruction He gave us for how to relate to sinners, to down and outers, to broken people, to needy people. Uh, Lord, show us what you want of us today in our life in this world. And in each of us in our need, Lord, I pray that you would work to redeem, work, uh, work to show us how you want us to relate 
to others in need. Bless us each, Lord, and make us a blessing, and thank you, amen.